0: I want people to understand how essential sleep is to our mental health as much as it is to our physical health. I want people to really acknowledge sleep for what it is, our own reset button, as you said, are really a gift from biology to keep us functioning optimally, mentally, and physically. And the million dollar sort of wish is to understand how sleep is doing all these miraculous things and how can really, when you think about it, just eight hours out of the day to fix so many things. Yeah. Uh, it's quite remarkable. I mean, there's so, there's so much activity that's going on in our body and our brain during the day and really sleep sort of tackles each one of them during the night. It's actually pretty amazing that it only needs a third yeah. of our life to do that. <laughs>
1: So, welcome to another episode of Shift with Shubra. I am your host, Shubra Veneti. I'm a certified sleep consultant for adults and children. I'm a baby science program instructor and as well as an Akashic light healing practitioner. And on today's episode, I am legit very, very excited because we have an actual sleep science researcher from none other than the Walker Center of Human Sleep Science at UC Berkeley coming in today to talk all about sleep like this is what I tell my clients this is the stuff that I am trained in and I educate you know I share the education with my clients with my parents and I'm actually hearing it sort of straight from the source now from people who are in the labs researching this day and out. So I'm very, very, very excited, which is why sometimes I think I'm gonna be like stumbling on my words. So I apologize. But let's just get today's introduction on our guest. So a good night's sleep is incredibly precious, as you know, to have. And it's very, very important for our health. It should be as important as exercising and as eating, but it gets a lower wrap than the others. And I always wonder why, but it's also because. There's a lot of history against, you know, being tough. If you don't need to sleep a lot, then you're very, very tough. And actually, it's kind of counterproductive or it's counterintuitive to do that because to expend energy, you need to reset your system and you can only do that in sleep. So, But yeah, there are so many reasons out there why things that are going to interfere with our natural sleep pattern. I mean, now in today's age, we have every single device under the sun that's emitting some form of light and that's just tricking our brains constantly so you know it's no surprise that people are sleeping less and less as every couple of decades go by. I think there were statistics saying that kids have been sleeping almost half an hour less than what they were sleeping decades ago. And I can't even begin to wonder how much it is for adults if kids are already affected. So on today's episode, I am so excited to have Etty Ben Simon. She's a postdoctoral fellow at the Walker Center for Human Sleep Science at UC Berkeley in California. She's here to share some insights, her research on the science of sleep, and how we can maximize the benefits of our rest time to really recover from the day's activity and work that we have gone through. So I'm so, so excited that you've tuned in for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and don't forget to tune into this episode either on video or on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. We also release the episodes on Instagram and Facebook now every Monday. And if you've got, you know, you want to share this episode, please do. If you've got ideas for future episodes, content that you would like us to explore, do write into us. Our email address is down in the show notes below. So I hope you enjoyed today's content and episode. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode after this, but yes. For, to, for now, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Maybe you could just tell me a little bit about how, or tell all of us, you know, those who are listening and viewing today's show, how you became a sleep researcher and what was the journey of entering the Dr. Matthew Walker's lab?
0: <laughs> it was actually a long journey. I, I started off thinking maybe I want to go into medicine. And then the more I studied, I went into biology, I started from biology, I realized that I care much more about what is this disease than how do I cure it. I really wanted to know, you know what went wrong and of course how we fix it. But once I realized how the mechanism worked, I felt like I didn't care as much to stick around and help other people because I was mostly interested in the mechanism. Right. So at that point, I realized that maybe I shouldn't go into medical school, but instead into research. And I was always fascinated with sleep, but it was only during my PhD that actually reading Matt Walker's studies that I had sort of a light bulb go up in my head. And I, and I said, oh, my God, I'm a neuroscientist and I can do these things. I can study sleep. I can try to understand this thing called sleep. Because personally, I was always someone that cared immensely about their sleep because the minute I, it was taken away from me, I could really feel mm-hmm. the consequences on everything that I do. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't even a choice in a way. It was sort of something that was sort of built into me in terms of that love for sleep and admiration of how I would go to sleep completely out of energy and, you know, maybe depressed, but wake up full of energy and motivated again. And what happens during those eight or nine hours is that suddenly everything looks bright and cheerful? Yeah. I always found that fascinating. Um, it always reminds me there is this fairy tale of, I don't remember, I think it's like a, a European old folk tale of. The young woman that had to sew some clothes, and she didn't have time. She fell asleep, and and then in the morning she found everything already prepared for her by little dwarfs, kind of yeah, yeah, thing yeah. during the night. You know that one?
1: Yes, it was um the shoemaker's, the shoemaker's tale, or something. Yeah, that he was making exactly. shoes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So there was this like a version with shoes. There's a version with like sewing clothes. Yeah, I- and- I always thought of sleep like those little dwarfs, something miraculous happens, Mm -hmm. we don't do anything, we just lie there and suddenly when we wake up everything. So yeah, once I realized I can take these tools that I was learning in neuroscience and apply them to study sleep, there was no going back for me. (laughs)
1: And I mean, this is this is going to be your life's work, do you think? Like, you, you are very happy to continue this for life. And what would you say is your area of interest when it comes to studying sleep? Like, what are you mainly interested in studying?
0: I'm interested in the, first of all, in the million-dollar question, why? What exactly is sleep that enables all these benefits that we see? And I think that sort of, my because sleep is a really wide field my niche sort of what i would like to go into is uh, the aspect of mental health i'm really mm. interested and we can talk about this later also yeah. the effects of sleep on mood and emotion and also really interested in the effects of sleep on the body uh, there is a lot of interest and of course work done on the brain but Sleep doesn't stop there. Sleep has a lot of benefits for the heart and for the metabolic and the immune system. So I would hope that when I start a lab to really incorporate a lot of the physiological signals as well. So not just uh, stay within the brain and, and learn about what sleep is doing there as well. So these are kind of like my two hopes. But in general, I hope that it would sort of merge together at the end to understand this big question of you know can we extrapolate from individual systems Mm. throughout the brain or the body and understand this overall mechanism of what sleep actually does yeah that's something that I would I would be really happy if I could solve that
1: (laughs) I'd be really happy too I think a lot of people would because I think that information is so so important so maybe we backtrack a little and we obviously, as you said, like we haven't really solved the entire question. But as of now, based on the research, can we in very layman's terms, sort of explain what is the purpose? Or what is the importance of sleep in a human body? Is it just resting? Is it just re energizing? Or is it a lot more than that?
0: It's so much more than that. Basically, when we go to sleep, so many processes happen to our brain and body that it's just, it's really blows my mind. I mean, from the outside, it looks like we're doing nothing. Yeah. But when you look inside the brain or inside the body, also, even within those eight or nine hours, the body and the brain shift to different states. And in each one of those states that we can talk about that, different things happen. So I think that over time, evolution really kind of put on sleep a lot of different functions that help us restore our health. So in terms of brain, of the brain, actually sleep is the only time where we stop taking in the world, the smells, the taste, the vision, and we stop for a second, and then we start processing everything that we have. Mm. So you can think about it like, let's say you have a GoPro camera that's kind of always recording, Yeah. And only when you get home, you're able to edit and take away what you don't need, keep what you need, maybe adjust the volume or the contrast. So this is sort of a coarse analogy, but in the same way, when we're awake, we're taking in all this information and only when we hit the pillow, we're able to start, Processing that information, what we want to keep, what we don't want to keep, how do we think about things maybe differently. A lot of our emotional processing as well is done offline when we process some of the memories, emotional memories that we have, we decide what's important and what's not. Mm. So in a sense, this is one of the uh, biggest parts of what we do when we go to sleep, we process all that information really, Mm. really critical. Mm. And yeah, and when we go downstairs in the body, we also see that a lot of the regrouping that's done in the physiological systems, again, after having to deal with life's challenges throughout the day, this is the time where we can regroup. We can, for instance, in the immune system, we can restock all the cells that we need to use in order to fight disease the next day. The heart is the first time that it can sort of really lower its levels or its beating rhythm Heart rate. Mm. and sort of more calm, same with blood pressure. So a lot of things that sort of need either to be reprocessed, readjusted, recalibrated are actually happening during sleep.
1: Right. And in terms of I mean, if we because I talk about sleep stages, and I think some people are sometimes hearing for it for the first time, they know that dream sleep is there, right? And and sometimes they know it's it's REM. They don't really know a lot about the non dream sleep. I think a lot of people just think, Oh, we just dream. That's all we do in sleep. We just sit and dream. And I'm like, Oh, no, 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 that's like, 25% 25% maybe <laughs> of that. There's like a whole lot of processes before that. Could you just very slightly elaborate the different stages and what's happening in terms of our body in each stage? What is the importance of each stage?
0: Yes. So like you mentioned, there is REM sleep. Everybody is, has already known that this is dream sleep, even though we dream in other stages as well. But yeah, most of the dreams happen in REM. Ooh. And then, yeah, we can talk about I didn't that, know that. <laughs> okay. And the, so the other stages are originally known as non-REM sleep because when uh, REM sleep was discovered in 1953, it actually ushered in the whole, all right, there are many stages here that we should classify. Yeah. So REM was given the priority and then the rest is non-REM. So within non-REM, we basically have light and deep sleep. So when we go into bed and we just lie down and we start closing our eyes and sort of calm calm ourselves down, we go into a transition phase we call N1, non-REM stage one. And one of the features that we see there when we look at someone's brain or, or facial activity is that the eyes, they have a very slow kind of movement. The eyes are closed, but the eyeballs sort of moving around very slowly. And this is usually the marker for people starting to doze off. If you woke them up at that stage, they might not necessarily realize they fell asleep. It's really just the beginning. But this is a very interesting stage. Sometimes in that stage, even though it's just a few minutes, people can have flashbacks Mm. of the day they just had. Mm. So I don't know if you ever had this experience. Let's say you played a video game all day, Tetris or going on a ski simulator. You close your eyes and suddenly you see those bricks falling or you see yourself on a slope. Mm. So these are called hypnagogic images, hypno from the word hypnotic like sleep, pre-sleep images that we have in this transition state. Some people also have a sense of falling because the muscles sort of relax at once. So this is the the, the first stage of sleep. Ah, okay. People really realize that they're asleep on the second stage, stage two, which is what we also refer to as light sleep. And when we look at the brain, we start seeing that the activity is actually a bit slower. So I'm gonna try and make the sound that neurons make. So let's say if you're awake and active like we are now, if I would put an electrode and listen to the neurons, they would be active very fast. They would be like this all the time right now when we go into light sleep suddenly you would see that the activity rate is a bit lower and it would be like Mm. so the brain starts sort of coming down and we start to see very interesting bursts of activity so out of that sea of more quiet activity suddenly there would be bursts of activity that are very characteristic of light sleep
2: okay so when we
0: look again even though the person seems exactly the same when we look at the brain we can tell okay now we are in light sleep Mm. and in this stage people typically are aware if you wake them up that they were asleep but it's still easier to wake them up because it's still a light relatively light stage of sleep Mm. a lot of processing very interesting data processing of information and learning is happening in light sleep it's not light in terms of not being important yes (laughs) but it is light in terms of easier to wake someone
1: up yeah and is it right that because i think i read somewhere that it's about 50 percent of adult sleep is actually in stage two so clearly there's a lot that's actually happening if that's 50 percent of it is there something like clearing of toxins or something or, or releasing of information that's no longer serving that's happening in light sleep like what's happening in that that accounts for such a large amount
0: A lot of, I don't know if you, there is a, one of those bursts of activity that I mentioned is called spindles. Mm -hmm. So a lot of spindles are happening or bursts of activities are happening in light sleep. And we know that spindles are very relevant for processing memories. So creating Mm -hmm. memories.
2: Mm -hmm. So
0: what we think is happening is that we have a sort of a short-term storage of memory in the brain called the hippocampus. This is where we register new information. And when we want to make that information stable and consolidate it for longer periods of time, so we want to keep that memory in a long-term storage, it needs to move from the hippocampus up to the cortex. Mm. So the cortex is where we keep long-term memory, which is the, right. most, the outer layer of the brain. Right. What we think spindles help doing, together with other mechanisms in the brain, is actually transfer ah. those memories. From the short-term reservoir of the hippocampus into the cortex.
2: Mm. So a
0: lot of our ability to learn new information, or the reason we would be better at learning something or a skill the next day is because of those of light sleep and those spindles.
1: Mm. Okay. Okay, Ken. So that's
0: one of the main things that is happening during light sleep. Okay. And after that, so that would be. So the transition state at the beginning would be about five minutes. Light sleep would be about 20. And then we are descending even lower into the slowest brain activity we will find during sleep, which is deep sleep. Mm. So if we go on with the analogy of the sound, now the brain would be so slow it would be pulsing very every two seconds or so. So it'll be... So when you look at the activity, now you would see really high amplitude slow waves, dominating uh, brain activity. Mm. So the brain is really at its lowest rate. Yeah, We also see it reflected in the body. So the heart rate is the lowest, blood pressure is the lowest. And if you wake someone up from deep sleep, now they would be very disoriented. Where am I? What happened? What time it is? It would take them some time to actually get back into function. Mm. so waking up from deep sleep is hard it's hard to wake someone up but also when they wake up it's hard for them to immediately know where they are so it takes the brain a bit of time to just get it orientate uh, itself yeah yeah mm. get itself back online
1: and what's so happening is- in deep sleep yeah sorry you were saying
0: many many things are happening in deep sleep one of them is the cleansing of the brain that you mentioned Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting new finding where a lot of toxins have been washed away from the brain during sleep. Okay. So the liquid that the brain is sort of swimming in is called CSF, cerebrospinal fluid. And there was a study a few years ago that showed that during deep sleep, it really washes all the space in between the neurons and clears everything. So every, right. everything. Night. Deep sleep also really helps to consolidate memory, similar to what we talked about, light sleep. Mm-hmm. So we also see that when you learn a new task, the more of those slow waves that you have during the night, the better you would be at recollecting those mm. uh, facts that you've learned. So there's something about cementing that new information that happens during slow wave sleep. And something we can talk about later, it's also related to anxiety. This is something that we found that those slow waves really help to re-engage mechanisms that are very important for emotion regulation and hence for anxiety. Mm. And yeah, it's really a new way to look at, at slow wave sleep beyond just cognition and also into emotion. Yeah. So when you go into deep sleep, that if it's the beginning of the night, that could be like a good forty minutes of being in that stage of of deep sleep, uh hardly moving with very low heart rate and blood pressure, like we said, and then the brain would wake up slightly wake up into stage two again, like light sleep, and then it would go into RAM sleep, mm. which is I think the most bizarre sleep stage probably <laughs> um, why? <laughs> It's still very much a mystery what's happening because if I only had your brain activity on my screen, but I didn't have video, I didn't have activity of other body parts, then RAM sleep would look to me like you've woken up. Right. Because suddenly the brain just goes back into this rapid activity, just like we have now, and heart rate starts going up and down and fluctuating a lot, same for blood pressure. And of course, the eye movements mm. that gave this stage its name start moving around. Mm. So basically, this is a stage that we are awake, but we are mentally in a different world. So we're mm. awake to our own internal world instead of the outside world. Mm. And the only way that sleep scientists can tell that you're not awake but in REM sleep is to actually, if they don't have a camera, is to actually read the activity from your muscles. Right. It, has, it happens in REM sleep. But it doesn't happen when we're awake because the muscles are paralyzed. There's mm-hmm. no activity in the muscles at all. And the theory is that the way it is because we're not supposed to act on our dreams. Yeah. So, you somehow, some scientists did this in the 60s. If you somehow disable the mechanism that suppresses muscle activity. Suddenly, you see cats running around an imaginary yeah maybe mouse something else, but they actually act out their dreams mm. so if we didn't have that muscle suppression, then we would probably hurt ourselves or other people that are in bed with us during uh, during our dreams
1: so if people have things like sleep talking, sleep walking, or really physically acting out their dreams, would you think that Either they're sort of sleep deprived, that's why the brain isn't able to completely paralyze the muscles in a way.
0: Typically, it's a sleep disorder. So you can have um, REM behavior disorder, which Mm -hmm. actually is exactly that. People are not able to uh, suppress muscle activity, the brain is not able to suppress muscle activity. It's not really a function of sleep deprivation. It's usually a sign that neurodegeneration has started in the brain. So people that have REM behavior disorder are at much higher risk of developing Parkinson's down Mm -hmm. the line. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking that some neuronal loss that's already started is first Mm -hmm. manifested in REM behavior disorder and later on in full-blown parkinson's
1: disease right oh wow okay so pretty, yeah pretty, pretty i mean because if it was happening in children would that then be the same theory or is it just mainly this is for adults if it was still happening
0: uh, this is an adults. we don't find a lot of REM behavior disorder uh, in children we do find sleep talking and walking yeah but these are coming actually from non-REM so people, children typically have what sleepwalking or talking uh, during non non-Ramp, and the reason is simple: that you can't really walk during RAM because of the muscle right. being suppressed. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, but it's nevertheless, of course, very dangerous because you're not fully really aware. And but it does tend to go away a lot of the time. The sleepwalking is sort of temporary. But REM behavior disorder, unfortunately we don't really have a cure for that yet. It's just mm. right now it just serves as a marker that things are this actually might get worse.
1: Right, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of the stages, I think cuz a lot of people when they are like, "Oh, I just sleep 4 hours and I'm fine." Or I just sleep 6 hours and I'm fine. And I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure if you're really fine with that because in my, this is my in this is what my understanding is that you actually have to cycle through all the stages to really get all the benefits and then if you start reducing the amount of time that you actually have for sleep, your brain will start to prioritize what it needs to do because it's obviously gotten you know shorter amounts but it will prioritize dream sleep but it also means that it's starting to not indulge in the other sleep stages a lot so does it cycle? between all the stages always periodically the same fashion? Or does it sort of like bounce around like sometimes it's stage one and then it goes to stage three and then da da, da 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 Or does it actually have to cycle through? Yeah,
0: it always cycles. And you're right that sometimes it is adaptive to whether we didn't get enough sleep and then that would change the duration of the cycle. But the brain would always cycle through stage one, uh, two, which is light sleep, three, deep sleep, and then REM. And then sort of wake up into two three REM and five or six of these cycles throughout the night depending on uh, Mm -hmm. how much sleep we get if you fall asleep and go straight into REM sleep this is typically an indication that something's wrong so people that have narcolepsy Mm. tend to fall asleep right into REM people that suffer from depression have REM sleep much more advanced in, Mm. in their sleep cycle but so we don't expect to see that you fall right into one sleep. Yeah. But you're right. That if, for instance, you participated in our studies and you spend the whole night awake, when you will go home to fall asleep, the brain will first prioritize deep sleep. Mm. So your sleep will be longer uh, that night. But it will also the next night, because it ate all the deep sleep it needed, or at least it can eat, then you would see it changes into RAM sleep and it's only on the third night that you would typically see that our subjects would go back to the regular sleep
1: right okay
0: and i'm glad you brought this up because something i forgot to mention is that the cycles even though they are pretty much the same duration of about 90 minutes an entire cycle the composition of the stages within those cycles tend to change throughout the night so when you start you just fall asleep, the first cycle, the majority of it would be deep sleep, and only about 10 minutes would be REM sleep. But the last cycle towards the morning would be the exact opposite. Mm. Most of it would be REM sleep. We have most of our dreaming towards the morning, and only some of it would be deep sleep. Mm. So we have a really fascinating interaction that we also have those cycles, but it, it also interacts to the time of night. And REM sleep tends to be higher when our internal clock allows it, which is usually towards the morning.
2: Mm. There's
0: an interaction also with the time of night. If you typically, if you need to cut your sleep short, for instance, yeah. suddenly you, you can only sleep six instead of eight. It really depends where you cut those two hours. Ah, it really would affect how much different types of sleep you would lose so if you cut those hours at the end you're mostly going to lose REM sleep but if you yeah. cut those in the middle sorry at the beginning you're mostly going to lose deep sleep
2: mm. but
0: there's also the factor of what time of night it is that yeah. determines the flavor of the composition of the sleep you're going to get
1: mm. So if you chronically, I'm just going to start going with different scenarios, right? So I read that, you know, with teenagers, especially because they have a delay in their sleep phase, right? So because of hormones, they, you know, hormonal changes and everything, their body clocks, their circadian rhythms are actually shifted by almost two hours sometimes. And therefore, like typically they can't fall asleep, you know, at the usual nine o'clock that they used to. They may actually have to sleep at 11 o'clock or sometimes a bit later, depending on, chronotype which also is a question that I also want to keep in mind but I wanted to ask like when does chronotype start to show its show its true self because I think people all think oh everyone should be able to sleep at nine o'clock or ten o'clock at
2: night
1: and it's it's not it's a it's it's a genetic thing right that you 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 your DNA determines your body type or your chronotype yeah and so in terms of like teenagers obviously if they are Pushed to wake up earlier, but they're delayed now in their sleep phase of sleeping later. And they're chronically always kind of sleep deprived because they've always had to wake up much earlier. It's impacting essentially their cognitive abilities then as you keep going because you're just you're just depriving of that dream sleep in a way. But what if it's the reverse that like if they're supposed to sleep at nine, but then that day they sleep at midnight and they still end up waking up at the same time because their body's so clock, you know clockwork that way by losing out on deep sleep. Does the body then like just go straight into a lot more dream sleep? Like what's the opposite end? Because obviously if you have less dream sleep in the morning, you, you feel much more brain fog. You feel mentally heavy. You feel like I can't really remember things. I can barely function to have a conversation because you've lost that dream sleep. So what's the opposite if you've lost the deep sleep in the beginning of the night?
0: If you lost the deep sleep in the beginning of the night, you're going to see an effect on your ability to remember things that you've learned. Mm-hmm. You can okay. also, so that, that, what we talked about cementing things to memory, transferring right. all those memories. So right. it's going to really affect being able to memorize new information. It can also affect the regulation of heart rate and blood pressure. Ah. So that, that deep that we talked about, that the heart rate and blood pressure actually hit a minimum point during deep sleep. If that does not happen chronically over time. That Mm. can put individuals at greater risk for cardiovascular disease and and high blood pressure. But actually that sense of fogginess is also associated with how much deep sleep you had. So a lot of the time when you ask people in the morning how well you slept, that's usually correlated with how many times they woke up. So how continuous their sleep was. So if you're able to fall asleep and stay asleep, you would feel a bit better than someone that had even maybe an hour extra, but woke up sort of every 15 minutes. So that quality of sleep is also very important uh, in a sense uh, Mm. to how people feel in the morning. But fogginess, that disorientation thing we talked about, so that's called sleep inertia. Mm trying to go back to sleep, but you can't because you have to go to school or to work. So that feeling is exactly uh, coming from lack of deep sleep, but also from lack of REM sleep, that you wake up from these stages, there are really deep stages of sleep, both of them. And just waking up from them, it takes time for sort of everything to reset back to normal. And people feel disoriented, kind of groggy, don't have the energy to hold the conversation like you said. So all of those things can happen from losing either end of those stages of sleep.
2: Mm.
1: And then in terms of chronotype, for those who don't know what chronotype is, it basically means sort of like your body clock. So whether if you've heard of night owls, like night people, that's kind of where it comes from. You have morning larks and you have hummingbirds, I think, are like the middle day type of people. And I think Dr. Bruce broke it down even more. Like he has now wolves and bears and dolphins and, and it's just subdivisions of the three major ones. But when do chronotypes actually start showing... Their true colors in a person's body clock
0: yeah so like you mentioned it is very genetic and we tend to see that your sort of true clock starts emerging more at puberty the kids right. are usually morning type and then due to a lot of physiological and hormonal changes during puberty the clock is actually shifted a bit later adolescents are ready to go to sleep later than they used to a year before but after the puberty ends then you're left with what your chronotype really is and i really i do want to stress again like you mentioned this is genetically determined we have little impact on when our body is ready for sleep so for instance melatonin the hormone that helps us fall asleep start rising about two or three hours before bedtime so for morning types that would happen around seven or eight and then they would be ready for bed at 10 And then for night uh, owls, that would happen at around nine or 10 and they would be ready for bed at midnight or one. Mm. And you can maybe nudge it a little like half an hour here or there, but you can't really change a morning type into an evening type and vice versa. Mm. We don't really have much effect on these mechanisms that kind of prepare us for sleep. Mm. And like you mentioned this is very tragic in the case of teenagers because they are forced to wake up at the same time they did when they were 7 yeah. even though now their body is not ready to fall asleep at 9 or 9:30 so basically they're set up for failure in terms of getting the sufficient sleep they need because if they need 10 hours and they have to wake up at 7 suddenly they have to be bed by 10 and their clock or their body is now ready to initiate sleep at that time. And since sleep is getting sort of squeezed. And as a result, we see a lot of the problem of sleep deprivation or insufficient sleep is actually much larger in teenagers today than it is in in adults because of this issue of, of early school start time. Yeah. And California, I think just last year, it feels like ages ago now with the pandemic, but
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> last year it, it had voted to not have school start before eight thirty to allow kids to get more sleep. Which is beautiful. That's amazing. I really think it's a great move.
1: Yeah. I mean that's that should be really like everywhere in the world it should start like really looking and implementing this and not just the world but also I mean I think the pandemic has been a big opportunity for companies to really look at also their start times because again, you know, it's, it's so, it's so heartbreaking. Sometimes clients come to me and then they go, you know, I look at my other client and they're such a morning person. They wake up at five and they go for their run. Da, 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 da. And I'm barely, you know, rolling out of bed at seven, barely getting my head together to, you know, shower, get ready and go to work. And I feel like I sit at the keyboard and my brain is still asleep until 10 and they are ready and firing and going. And I just don't know how I can get there. And I'm just like, it's not your chronotype, so you have to stop beating yeah. yourself about it. And they just are just so like, wait, so can I train myself? It's like, eh, maybe two hours, one hour, you can change it, but it's not gonna be like you're not gonna be the five a.m. club. It's not as easy to to go yeah. from that 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 swing of nine a.m. to five a.m. suddenly. <laughs> and 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 people you know, we, yeah. we in
0: in society, we really much we value kind of starting early, and but when you think about it, evolutionary wise, there is a big advantage of having a member of the tribe always awake around the
1: clock. Yes.
0: So this is called the Sentinel hypothesis. And the idea is that we really sort of there was an advantage for the group to have people that are awake really early and and really late, because then you minimize the time that the entire group is asleep. Yes, So if some of the members like to sleep at midnight, there are a few hours where the rest of the people are asleep, and feel they're not too vulnerable because there's someone looking out for them.
2: Yeah. So
0: we somehow created a society that doesn't really Fall see in. the value of having people awake at 11 p.m. But there, there is a value, and I think that people should not feel bad about their chronotype, even though it really can be difficult to especially with institutions and work and school Mm. but once you are older and you're out and you can sort of choose your lifestyle if you can choose something that sets your sort of lives happily with your chronotype that would make your life a lot easier and also make you healthier because being constantly off phase with your sleep and your schedule is something we call social jet lag, has a lot of detrimental impacts on health. Because basically what is happening is that you're not getting enough sleep, but you're also not enabling your internal clock to be synchronized with wake and sleep. So like you said, she sits by the keyboard and her brain only wakes up at 10. That's because that's how her clock is wired. Mm. So having attempting to fight this aspect of biology is really not helping her and actually maybe not even helping her her a job
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just you know embrace the time that your brain your body or even you know a lot of evening people they're not even hungry yeah. uh, when they wake up because their body is just still in sleep mode
1: Thank you for tuning into the first part of our conversation with Dr. Etty Ben Simon on sleep and how sleep affects the human body. Tune in next week as we drop the second episode to this conversation where we continue the conversation on how sleep is so important to the functioning of our mind, body, and emotions. And I hope you enjoy today's content and thank you for tuning in for today's episode. Bye for now.